Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as we gather together this morning for worship and to hear God's Word read and preached today. And uh, we continue in our look at the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at the beginning of Luke chapter 19 this morning. It's a story many of you may be familiar with. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. You can follow along on the slides behind me or in your own Bibles or apps or however you would like to do that. Uh, Also, feel free to just listen today. And um, we'll be looking, as I said, uh, starting at verse 1 of Luke chapter 19. So let's uh, pray together one more time before we read. Gracious God, uh, we pray this morning as we gather around your word. that the words of, of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight today, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And this we pray, pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to, the Lord, uh, said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, this is a passage uh, you, many of you are probably familiar with. It. We've been quoting it a lot throughout this series on Luke, that last verse, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so we want to be reflecting on that again today. This is a theme that runs throughout Luke. And this is a story, how many of you are familiar with this story? You've heard the story of Zacchaeus before. Yes, okay. Uh, poor Zacchaeus, right? What is, if you know one thing about Zacchaeus, what do you know about Zacchaeus? He's short. Yes, he is short. Okay. And, and of course, Zacchaeus was short. Uh, Zacchaeus was, a, a, several years ago, it was a very popular story at my house when, when uh, my kids were a little bit younger. And I remember preaching on this, uh, this passage several years ago, and, and my son Presley came up to me and he said, Daddy, do you want to take my Bible with you uh, for this story, his children's Bible, to show it? Because it is such a common story in children's Bibles. And, and I thought, this is a good idea. Let's look at these children's Bibles and see how they present Zacchaeus, because they have a lot to say about him. So I, I looked through several of the children's Bibles uh, that we had around our house at the time and our church, and they all start with this idea that Zacchaeus was short that he was little, and it kind of rubs it in almost a little bit. One children's Bible calls this story, the man who was too little, the man who was too little, and they keep talking about it. Uh, Another one calls it big news for a little man, 
Big news for a little man. I'm not trying to rub this in. I'm just, I just want you to know this is how it's presented. Then, of course, there's the song that I learned in Sunday school, in vacation Bible school growing up. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I know, right? And a wee little man was he. Let's just, let's just repeat it, okay? Uh, so this is, this is what Zacchaeus is known for. So I'm hoping to rehabilitate him a little bit this morning. There's more to think about here. Uh, the English Standard Version of the Bible, uh, which, which we read sometimes, uh, puts it a little bit less strongly. It says he was small in stature. It doesn't, doesn't quite rub it in so much, although you still get the point. The NIV just says he was short. But I think the description of Zacchaeus that takes the cake for me uh, doesn't say anything about his size. It comes from the Jesus Storybook Bible, one that maybe uh, many of you are familiar with by a woman named Sally Lloyd-Jones. If you have children or grandchildren, somebody you're buying a Bible for, I'd recommend this one. But she says this, the story about Zacchaeus is called or titled, The Man Who Didn't Have Any Friends, None. I think I'd rather be called short. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna point something out, right? Ouch, that hurts. The man who didn't have any friends, none. Even the Jesus Storybook Bible says, "Poor Zacchaeus." Now, it's pretty obvious from from all of these examples that this is a popular story for children because we see it in all these children's Bibles. And I think for obvious reasons, I think here is someone that they can relate to on some level. I think that's the main reason that his size gets emphasized so much so that children can connect with him. There's clearly nothing wrong or embarrassing about being small in stature, but for Zacchaeus, it means that he can't see over the crowds. And children understand that. It's just part of their existence, that everything is at a higher level for them. I remember being at a, a, like a preschool one time and was uh, being shown around like on a tour, on a mission trip, and there was a little kid that was there, and, and the tables were actually sort of adult size. So he was walking around, and he was just looking up at everything. And I thought, this is what it's like to go through. It, it opened my eyes to what it's like to go through life as a child. And I think that's why kids relate to this story so much, because they know what it's like to not be able to see over other people and not to be able to to get on the same level as the world. It's just part of their existence. So what does Zacchaeus do? He climbs up in a tree, and children understand that as well. Kids like to climb trees. They like to get up high. They like to look down on everything. It's a completely different perspective. People in the balcony, you might be able to relate to this, right? Uh, you like to sit up high. You like to look down on everything. You actually, you might be able to hide a little bit, right? When you're up there, remain a little bit anonymous. You can slip out the back before the pastor gets to the door. I understand how this works, right? I remember growing up, uh, when I lived in Richmond, Virginia, uh, we had a huge tree in our front yard, and it had this nice big low branch that was just out of reach, and so I'd prop my bike up against the tree and climb up on the bike, and then I'd climb up on the branch, and I just thought I could see everything, and nobody could see me from up there. It was like I could see the whole world. So it was a little disillusioning when I went back in college about 10 years later and realized that the tree, the branch came up to about here, right? But when I was a kid, it seemed so high in the air. 
So this story is easy for children to relate to, and I, I would imagine for a lot of us, that's when we learned this story. When we were children, if you grew up in church, you probably heard this story as a child and took something away from it. Uh, it's one of those children's stories. We keep running into them in Luke. It's one of these stories that we are introduced to as children, but we don't always come back to as an adult. And so that's one of the reasons we want to come back to this today. And I would just take a moment to say uh, that for all of you out there, all of those children's stories you learned as a kid, go back and read them as an adult now and see what you take away differently from them because God has something in them for you as an adult, just like we do with Zacchaeus today. You might be pleasantly surprised surprised by what comes out of those stories. So Zacchaeus, what does Zacchaeus have to say to us today? Well, before we focus uh, too closely on this story at hand, we want to pull back and look what is happening in Luke, because we want to remember that Luke is telling a story in his gospel. It's not just a collection of separate episodes. He's got a start and a finish, and all of the things that happen in between are part of this story that he is trying to tell. It's a story that begins with angels announcing the births of John the Baptist and Jesus, And it's a story that's going to end with the ascension, when Jesus is taken up into heaven. And we run into the cross and the resurrection along the way. The whole time, Luke is pointing at Jesus and saying, this is the man who is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Everything God told Israel in the Old Testament is coming to fruition in the life of this person, Jesus Christ. From the very time that he's born all the way till the time of the ascension, Luke is trying to point to him and say, look at this person. All of God's promises are true in him. This is why Jesus is really the answer to all of the questions we ask in Sunday school 80 to 90% of the time, right? You can say, Jesus, you're probably going to be right because Jesus is the answer to all of God's promises. And Luke is telling the story. And while we pick a section to focus on each week in our sermon, each passage is a piece of this story. And it's all building to the cross and the resurrection, which we're going to be looking at just a month from now when we get to Easter. The cross and the resurrection, the central event in all of history is coming up soon in in Luke's gospel. And ever since Luke 9, as we've said in here, we've been traveling with Jesus to Jerusalem and to the climax of this story, to the cross and to the resurrection. And as we've traveled, the focus of the narrative has been addressing this question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be his disciples? And so we've traveled south from Galilee through Samaria, and we've arrived outside at the walls of Jericho, and we're only about one more day's journey to Jerusalem from where we are in our story today. And if you look ahead just a bit in your Bibles, you'll see that the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, is just a few short verses away from this passage. And so this encounter that Jesus is having with Zacchaeus is probably less than two weeks away from the crucifixion. So he's got this on his mind. He knows what is in front of him, and yet still, still he stops to talk to this man, Zacchaeus. What could be seen as somewhat of an insignificant encounter, it's not happenstance. It's not an accident that this is happening here. This is not a skim-over story. 
This is a stop-and-pay-attention-to-it kind of story. Luke is wrapping some things up here. It's, it's almost like he's saying, I'm telling you this for the last time. One more time, before we get to the cross and resurrection, before we get to Jerusalem, I want to emphasize a few more things that he said already. And you'll probably hear some things this morning that you've heard said through our sermon series in Luke, but that's okay because repetition is good. So again, what does Zacchaeus have to say to us today? As as youth, as teenagers, as adults, what does it tell us about Jesus and what it means to follow him? The reason I like the Jesus Storybook Bible's title for this uh, story is because it gets to the heart of what Zacchaeus' problem really is. The man who had no friends. None. Zacchaeus was a universally disliked person. That is a bold statement to make, but it's true. He was a universally disliked person. Even several of the more adult commentaries, academic commentaries that I looked at make this point as well, that nobody in Jericho liked him. Now, I don't care who you are or how much power or money or stuff that you have. At least I don't think so. Nobody wants to be in the position of having no friends of having no one like you. I was admitting to a couple people in here earlier before the service that I like to be liked. I confess that to you all. This would be a difficult thing for me to have no one like you. There are two things that were told about Zacchaeus at the beginning of our passage that help us get to what's going on here. The first one is this. The two things that were told. One, he's a chief tax collector. This is who Zacchaeus is. And two, he was wealthy. These are the two things we're told, and he was short, of course, right? But these are the two more important things that were told about him. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. And in these two things, we see Luke bringing together two of the main themes that we've covered throughout his gospel, themes that we have been talking about here on Sunday mornings, right? The first one is this that Jesus came to bring good news for the outsider, right? Jesus came to bring good news for the outsider, or we might say Jesus came to bring salvation to the outsider. So this is one of the themes we see here. And the second one is this, the temptation of wealth and possessions, right? The temptation of wealth and possessions, and particularly how they often become a barrier between people in following Christ, Wealth and possessions are a constant temptation that can keep people from following Christ. And the Bible talks about this all over, but Luke in particular has an emphasis on this theme. So both of these things are at play here with Zacchaeus. He is both an outsider and he has wealth and power along with it. So first, first thing we want to look at, Jesus brings good news to the outsider. Jesus brings salvation to the outsider. Throughout Luke's gospel, we see Jesus spending time with people that we might not expect. Certainly that the people, the religious establishment around him at that time did not expect. Even uh, people that it was controversial or, or scandalous for him to associate with. And often he holds these people as, up as examples of those who have found faith. Sometimes we see him associating with people with, with disabilities, people with, with chronic and infectious diseases. We see him associating with, with Gentiles, with women, with children, with prostitutes, with sinners. All of these are people who had low status in Israel at the time, who might have been considered outsiders, people that Jesus maybe shouldn't be talking with as a respectable rabbi. 
and tax collectors. Tax collectors. Tax collectors are talked about often in Luke, and they were considered to be outside of the boundaries of respectable Israelite society. And so to help us think a little bit more about tax collectors, because we have tax collectors still, right? Uh, But we may not think about them quite that way, but I want us to consider a commentary on them uh, by a musical group from the mid-20th century uh, called the Beatles. You might have heard of them. They were kind of a big deal. Uh, They had an album in 1966 called Revolver. And on that album, they had a song called Taxman. Taxman. So we're going to look at what the Beatles have to say about Taxman. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me. Should 5% appear too small, be thankful. I don't take it all. If you drive a car, I'll tax the street. If you try to sit... I'll tax your seat. If you get too cold, I'll tax the heat. If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. Don't ask me what I want it for if you don't want to pay some more, because I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. All right. I didn't want to sing. Carol should have had you sing that for us. I know. When I was growing up, whenever in Sunday school we'd read a story about tax collectors in the Bible, whatever curriculum we were using usually sought to explain that in those days, back then, tax collectors were a particularly despised group of people. Somewhere along the line, I began to realize that maybe things hadn't changed quite so much. And I think that's what the Beatles are getting at here. And no offense to anybody who works for the tax system here. I'm not. It's a perfectly respectable occupation. I'm just saying in the United States, not everybody likes to get a call from the IRS, okay? Now, in all fairness, I did have my taxes adjusted in my favor one time, so they're doing good work. I appreciate that, okay? We should pay our taxes. Jesus says so, but we don't always like what's going on there. Tax collecting isn't a job that elicits a lot of affection and warmth for people, even now. So at that time, what made matters worse in Jesus' time was that the taxes were being collected for Rome, right? The foreign oppressor, and people did not like that. Tax collectors were seen as being collaborators with the enemy. They were seen as being traitors to their own people and to their own nation. And it was also a system that was prone to abuse. And tax collectors often collected more than they were supposed to simply for their own benefit. And everybody knew this was going on, but there really wasn't much they could do about it. So essentially, they are robbing the people, their fellow countrymen. It was like a big pyramid scheme, right? You had your, your normal, everyday, average tax collectors, and they would collect taxes from people, and then they would skim off the top. They would take more than they were supposed to, keep some for themselves, and send the rest on to the chief tax collector. And then the chief tax collector would collect from what they were giving him, skim more off the top for themselves, and then send it on to Rome. And this is a problem. And Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. So he's sitting at the top of this system, or at least somewhere at the top of this system, right? So it's true that tax collectors at that time were a particularly despised group of people. They were despised back then. So of course, Jesus reaches out to them. So of course, Jesus reaches out to them. Jesus spent a lot of time with tax collectors. In fact, tax collectors are talked about regularly in Luke through Jesus' interactions with them or in his presentations with them. And always they are uh, portrayed sympathetically to some degree. As far back as John the Baptist's ministry early in Luke that we are told 
Even the tax collectors were coming for baptism. They're presented in a way that it's almost like these are the people we would least expect to want to come and be baptized. These are the people we would at least expect to repent. And yet even they were coming forward for baptism, signaling that they had faith and that they had come to repentance. And people weren't sure how to handle this. They thought, what do we do with all these tax collectors who are coming forward for baptism? What are we supposed to do with them? It was regularly an accusation leveled at Jesus that he would associate and eat with tax collectors and sinners. They were put in the same category together, tax collectors and sinners. And yet we see Jesus calls Levi, the tax collector. He comes to him and says, follow me. And Levi leaves everything and follows him. And he comes to be one of Jesus' disciples and even one of the twelve. And you may remember the parable that Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. We looked at it actually back in the fall, not during this series this winter. But the Pharisee, both the Pharisee and the tax collector, they go in and they pray, right? And the Pharisee prays in all of his self-righteousness, Lord, thank you that I am better than all of these other people. Thank you that I'm better than all of these other people. Whereas the tax collector says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it was the tax collector who went home justified from that encounter. So Jesus presents tax collectors in a different sort of way. They were despised by society. They were considered outsiders, but not by Jesus. Or at least he saw them as included in the people that he had come for. His good news was for them. When Jesus died on that cross, tax collectors are the very people that he came to die for and to save, just like all of these other people that we listed as being outsiders. So Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, even worse, like we said. And he was living the high life off of everyone else's money and hard work. He was in league with the foreign oppressors. He was considered to be a rich oppressor himself. And this is the other issue for Zacchaeus, which is that he is wealthy. And Luke, again, wants to warn us about the ways that wealth can create a barrier between us and God if we're not careful. Now, this is not to say that money and wealth are are sinful inherently in and of themselves, but they can create a barrier between people and God and following Christ. This is something that we see warned against all throughout Luke and all throughout Scripture. And if we don't take it seriously, then we're missing something. I think a lot of us don't want to take it seriously because we don't want to have to think about critically what we do with our money and our possessions and yet the bible puts it there for us and says be careful and the reason is because when we have wealth and possessions there's always going to be a temptation to put our trust in those instead of in god it's easy to say yes i trust god when you have everything taken care of for you but take all of that away and what's left with your faith do we still believe in and trust in god when all of that's there Uh, I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller this week on this passage, and he said the other thing with wealth, I thought this was helpful, the other thing with wealth is that often it can be a a way of looking and finding self-righteousness for ourselves, right? If you are doing well in life, it's easy for you to look at yourself and say, I must be doing something right. I must be doing something right because everything else is taken care of. People who don't have as much, they haven't been as blessed. They must not be doing as well. God has not blessed them the same way he's blessed me, right? And so we have to be careful with how we look at money and possessions. Zacchaeus had wealth. He had both money and power. 
And from the outside, even if no one liked him, at least from a material standpoint, it may have looked like he had everything going for him. What else did he need? And yet there was something missing for Zacchaeus, and he knew it. There was something missing for Zacchaeus, and he knew it. He was a captive to his own sin and greed, and it was leaving him empty inside, and it was leading him down the road to death. It reminds me of the old quote that you may have heard before, that everyone has a God-shaped hole in their heart that only God can fill. Everyone has a God-shaped hole in their heart that only God can fill. It's a paraphrase of a, of a quote by uh, Augustine of Hippo, uh, one of the, I think, the best quotes in all of the history of, of Christianity, where Augustine says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This is what Zacchaeus is running up against. He's got all the wealth, all the riches, he's got power, and yet something is still missing. And so he looks to go and find Christ. Again, uh, I like what Tim Keller said in his sermon about this. He said, the story of Zacchaeus tells us that anyone can come to Jesus. The story of Zacchaeus tells us that anyone can come to Jesus because Zacchaeus, with everything working against him, still comes to Jesus. So Zacchaeus went seeking for Jesus just, just to see who he was, just to catch a glimpse of him. He climbs up into the sycamore fig tree to see him. And who knows, who knows exactly what Zacchaeus was looking for that day? Who knows what Zacchaeus really wanted to happen? All we know is that he went into town and he climbed a tree to see Jesus, to see this man that he had been hearing about. It's hard to imagine that Zacchaeus knew that this Climbing this tree this way would lead to his life being completely turned upside down that very day. But what happens next is remarkable because as Jesus is walking by, the very beginning of our passage says he was passing by, right? As he's walking by, he stops and he looks up in the tree and he calls Zacchaeus by name. And he says, come down from that tree immediately. I must stay at your house today. And there's several things to notice about how Jesus responds to Zacchaeus here. Outside of the fact that he invites himself over for dinner, it might have been a little bit presumptuous on his part, but he does it, right? I'm coming to, he doesn't really invite himself to dinner. He just says, I'm coming, right? I'm coming to your house today for dinner. Uh, The first thing to notice is this must, this word must. I must stay at your house today. And this is a word, we talked about this very early in Luke, when we talked about the different things to pay attention to, that there's a sense of of God's purposes being worked out in the Gospel of Luke, that we hear Jesus must do this, or it is necessary for these things to happen. He uses this word a lot when he talks about going to the cross. The Son of Man must be rejected and must suffer and must die and then will come back to life on the third day. We're hearing that same word again. I must stay at your house today. And this word tells us that what is going on here is part of the divine plan, right? This is not some coincidence that just happened to happen. Jesus is working out his grand mission in this encounter with Zacchaeus. Jesus didn't just happen to look up in the tree at the right time, didn't just happen to hear Zacchaeus up there and say, oh, what's that guy doing up there, right? He knows what's going on here, right? It wasn't even a matter of Zacchaeus deciding to seek Jesus out. This was always going to happen. 
God was working out his plan through this tax collector for a reason. So we see that there's a must, that this was necessary to happen. The second is Jesus' use of today. I must stay at your house today. And in Luke, again, the word today is used to emphasize the the immediacy or the urgency of what Jesus is doing. It's most often used in the sense of salvation. Zacchaeus, your time is now. God's plans for you are being fulfilled in this very moment. There's an immediacy and an urgency to this. And Zacchaeus' response is one of joyful repentance. His life has changed from this very moment. And that's what one of the main things I hope we see from this passage. Friends, this is what it means to follow Christ. This is what it means to be his disciple. It means repentance. It means turning away from your old life to embrace the new life that is offered to you in Jesus Christ. And in this, Zacchaeus gives us a picture of true repentance. Zacchaeus doesn't just confess his sin, and that's an important distinction to make. He doesn't just admit that he has wronged people. You know what? I've cheated people before, Jesus. You're right. I'm sorry I've done that, and now he moves on with the rest of his life. Zacchaeus repents. He makes restitution. He repays the people that he's wronged even four times over. Whatever I've taken from them, I will repay them four times. And he gives half of everything that he has to the poor. He must have been making some good investments to have all of this uh, still in his pockets, right? But he repays people four times over, gives half of what he has to the poor. This is a man who was so bound to his wealth, and now he has been set free. Uh, It's easy to find in Zacchaeus a foil to the rich young ruler who shows up in Luke just a couple of chapters before. If you're familiar with that story, it's a young man who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, go and sell all of your possessions and give your money to the poor and come and follow me. And the man walks away sad because he had great wealth. That's what we're told. And so in him, we see an example of someone who was still bound, who didn't, who didn't repent, who couldn't leave their money and wealth and possessions behind to follow Jesus. Instead, in Zacchaeus, we see someone who did, who was set free. This man that we saw, the, the right, uh, rich young ruler, was righteous in his own eyes and couldn't see trusting in Jesus for salvation rather than himself. But in Zacchaeus, we have a man who is eager and happy to accept what Jesus is offering him, forsaking everything else that he has. In the story of the rich ruler, Jesus said it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they said, well, then who then can enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus' response was, what is impossible for human beings is possible with God. Again, we see here a warning against the temptations of wealth and riches, and not everybody leaves it behind. But in Zacchaeus, what we see is that God saved him. In Zacchaeus, we're given a very real picture of what God can do with someone's life. This kind of repentance, this kind of life change is what is possible with God for each one of us. And the question that comes to us from this passage is, what do we need to repent of? What is the sin that has a hold on your life? 
What is the sin that has a hold on your life that you need to leave behind because it is keeping you from following Jesus the way that you are called to do? And what would it take to repent of that sin? What would it take to repent of that sin? Not merely to confess it, not merely to just say, yes, I do struggle with this, but to actually turn away from it, to leave it behind in order to follow Christ. And even as you ask yourself that question, remember that Zacchaeus changed in response to God's grace to him. He didn't deserve for Jesus to recognize him or to speak to him. He certainly didn't deserve to have Jesus enter into his home and bless him in that way. And you can see from the crowd's response that no one thought Zacchaeus should have this honor. What is Jesus doing going and eating with that sinner? It reminds me of of what Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He says that the Lord's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, right? It is the Lord's kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance. And this is what we see with Zacchaeus, that Jesus doesn't come in proclaiming judgment over him, condemning him. Jesus comes with kindness and gives him grace and blesses him with his presence, recognizing that there was something in Zacchaeus that was hungry for him. Zacchaeus uh, allowed him to be, or allowed himself to be changed. So friends, what I want to encourage you with today is to take your sin to Christ and to allow his grace to change your life. Ask him where you need to repent and ask him for the strength to do it. To close, I, I want us to, uh, to look at what we learn about Jesus from this passage because whatever else we take away from Scripture, we should always be looking for what God reveals about himself through Jesus Christ. And throughout Luke, like we said, we've seen Jesus associating himself with the poor, with the outcasts, with the sinners, those on the margins of society, often over and against those people with status and wealth and power. And Zacchaeus isn't the first tax collector Jesus has spent time with, like we said, but he seems to straddle this line a bit. He is, in a way, poor Zacchaeus. He's on the outs with everyone else, but he's also rich and powerful. And my point is to say that Jesus' call comes to the rich and poor alike. Jesus' call comes to the rich and poor alike, to the oppressed and to the oppressor. All are called to repentance. All are offered salvation. There is no one for whom God's grace does not extend through Jesus Christ. The call comes to put our faith in him and to repent and follow him. And this salvation is in knowing Christ himself and following him. Jesus tells Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. And later he says, salvation has come to this house today. Salvation has come because Jesus has come. And that salvation isn't just for the future, it is for now. Zacchaeus has found new life in Jesus Christ, and he is experiencing his salvation in the present. His life will no longer be the same from this moment on. And finally, Jesus closes by saying that he has come to seek and to save the lost. At the beginning of our story, we're told that Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus. But I hope what you've realized by the end of this story is that Jesus was really the one seeking Zacchaeus. I think this is important, right? Jesus was really the one seeking Zacchaeus. Jesus is the one who found him in that tree. Jesus is the one who called him by name. Jesus is the one who had compassion on him, who called him to repentance, and who saved him.
And friends, this is the gospel. Not that we seek God and hopefully we find him, but that we are all lost, like we said last week. And God seeks us and finds us in spite of ourselves. And like the story of the prodigal son, there is a big party when anyone is brought home. So may we all be found and brought home by our Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for the life of Zacchaeus and that, that one day uh, we, we might meet him uh, on the other side of this life. Uh, this person that, that you called to repentance, uh, that saved, you saved. Lord, we thank you for the example that he sets for us of true repentance. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would shine your light into our lives, that we might see our sin, we might see uh, the places where we need to repent, that you would convict us, Lord. Uh, so that we might turn away from our sin and follow you, that we might be set free in the same way that Zacchaeus was. We thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice on the cross in order to, to take our sin away from us, to pay for it, that you were willing to do that yourself so that we might know you and have eternal life in you. So, Lord, we pray that all that we've heard today, that you would apply it to our hearts and to our lives, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.